You're listening to Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. I am your host, Eric Konovalov, and I believe that we can achieve everything we want if we take our leadership, sales ability, and personal growth to a higher level. On this show, we share ideas on how to break through our invisible boundaries, start taking steps towards our dreams, and create the life we desire. I invite you to open your mind to new possibilities, new ideas, and to the truth that everything you want is possible for you. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience podcast and my favorite podcast. I got to tell you, if you're not in my Facebook group yet, go join Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Mastermind group on Facebook and follow us on all the other channels as well. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Mark Willis. He is a CFP. He's a man on a mission to help you think differently about your money, your economy, and your future. Mark is a certified financial planner, a three-time number one best-selling author, and the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm based in Chicago, Illinois. We will not hold that against Mark. I promised him that. As a co-host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast, he shares some of his strategies for investing. Mark works with people who want to grow their wealth in ways that are safe and predictable to become their own source of financing and create tax-free income in retirement. Mark, welcome to Lead, Sell, Grow, my friend. Hey, thanks, Eric. And I got to say, I think especially as the winter months drag on up here in the north. We're all just sort of kidding ourselves if we're not down in your neck of the woods. So glad to be kind of living vicariously through you today. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we need more more good people down here, but this, is, this has been the best decision I've ever made to move to, to Florida. So Mark, I'm super duper curious about self-financing. Can we start there? And then maybe, you know, we'll weave our way back to who you are, your company and all that. But the concept of self-financing, talk to me about that. Well, first of all, that's that's a interesting concept, right? Uh, it's almost like self-farming. Do you really want to grow your own food? I mean, sure, it's nice to do on the weekends, but do you really want to self-farm? No, I don't know. How do, how do you self-finance? Uh, it seems sort of counterintuitive. Uh, I'll tell you quickly, my journey went through tons of debt, student loan debt, um, mega, uh, mega debt payments every month as we're entering into the Great Recession of 2008 and 9 and so on. Uh, partnered up with a CPA firm to kind of get to know how the financial world worked. Didn't grow up with a lot of knowledge in the financial world. So kind of uh, learned on the front lines of the war in 2008 and nine, you, you might say, and started listening to the CPA make these calls. Hey, Mr. Client, you're 62 years old. I'm sorry. I just lost you half your life savings, a third of your life savings. And and we all know from the benefit of hindsight that things recover slowly and they they grew back. And here we are now. I kind of want you to think about how you felt in March and April of 2020, because that's sort of how it felt for me for the for about a year and a half, two years. Like, yeah, for a month or two in March 2020, all of us were kind of like, whoa, what the heck's going on? Where's the world headed? That's sort of how it was for the whole world uh, in 2008-9 for about a year there. And a lot of people lost access to capital. A lot of people had their houses taken away from them. A lot of people saw their businesses crumble. A lot of people got divorced, unfortunately. A lot of people committed suicide, unfortunately. And I began to realize as I was getting through my own problems of student loan debt and the six figures, that there had to be something behind the veil. There had to be somebody winning with all this losing I was hearing. There had to be some winners because on the on every transaction, there's a, a buyer and a seller. So every time I made a payment, somebody was getting that money. I knew that. And come to find out, banks, banks have always been um, for thousands of years, even uh, the the I don't I don't pull my tinfoil hat out too often, but they typically have the puppet strings uh, for the world economy, politicians, whatever else. Banks are really the ones who are running the show. I mean, look at your your town. Your town's biggest building is probably a bank, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and back I would, then, I mean, didn't Obama uh, give the banks a bunch of money? Case in point, right? Is that it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> case in Got point. It. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in the midst of everyone else not getting the bailout, who did? The banks right? did. There's there's a book called uh, Debt: The First Five Thousand Years. That's the name of the book. Debt: The First Five Thousand Years, and it's a history of banking from caveman till right now today. And the the title says it all, right? Banks will win 
regardless of the economy, regardless of your 401k, regardless of whatever, they are going to find their wit, their wedge is profits. That's the, you know, if you're, if you're a hardware business owner, if you, if you run a hardware store in town, you're selling hammers. Well, they sell debt and that's the most profitable, you know, product I can find in the world, in his, in the history of mankind debt. And it appears to have lasted now 5,000 years. I'm betting it outlasts the iPhone or the Xerox machines that you used to sell. They're going to debt will outlast all of us. Mm-hmm. So the question is, who's the one controlling your debt and your financing in your financial life? I'll, I'll say this quickly and then I'll shut up and, and get your thoughts on this, Eric. But, uh, you're doing great. Uh, right on. So, you know, we're already in the banking business. Even if you think you're one of these Dave Ramsey guys that pays cash for everything, you're still participating in the banking business. If you're a business owner and you sell widgets, you're in two businesses. You sell your widgets, that's fine. But on the other side of your business card is a little statement that says in the banking business, because you're part of the banking system, whether you realize it or not. Um, we can get into how that works, but the question is really going to become at, at some point in your life, you're going to have to decide who will control the banking function in my personal life. And a lot of our clients, longtime clients, they're all figuring out that if they can control the banking function in their life, they control the entire environment where the money lives in their financial life. Uh, everything else becomes secondary. What they got on their mutual funds last quarter or how their crypto is doing or how their business is doing, it's all secondary to who controls the financial function. It's almost like whoever runs the operating system. doesn't matter so much like what programs you install on your computer. What really matters is who's got the operating system mm-hmm. uh, installed on your computer. So that's maybe enough. Of, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> No, 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 that's great. Okay, so so keep going. How do how do we get to self financing? Yeah, well, one option is like the self farmer. You you do it all yourself. Like literally, you know, you grab the seed, you grab the plow, you grab the water, all that, uh, and that would essentially mean you'd have to open up your own bank, get a bank charter, raise about a hundred million bucks, uh, get your friends and buddies to chip in, and then open your doors to this, you know, to to one bank branch, and then hope and pray that. Uh, it all works out. Uh, that's one route. And that might take you 10, 20 years to get those bank charters. They don't just hand them out like candy. Um, or you can become your own source of financing. And that has truly revolutionized my life. It's changed the lives of my clients. Uh, and you don't need a bank charter or a hundred million bucks to do it. Uh, as it happens, as a certified financial planner, I never thought I'd be talking about this, but I guess I want to quickly just mention, Eric, that where you put your money makes it do different things. You and I were just talking about this before we hit record, um, that where you put your money acts, makes it act different. Mm-hmm. And where should I put my money? I'm a business owner. You know, Most people are business owners. Where I put my money will impact my, my life. If I pack all my money into a SEP IRA or a 401k or you know, a solo 401k, I can't get that money again for another 10, 20, 30, 50 years, however old you might be, right? You have to be a certain age unless there's going to be penalties or taxes to get that money out. Well, if I'm a business owner, I need access to capital. So I need to think critically about where my money's going to live. And most of us don't. penalize you for that? Can I ask? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Uh, Is it really our money if they're going to slap our hands when we go get it? Doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. I get the taxes fine. So you pay taxes on it, but why, why the penalty? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the, um, the real answer is figure out who wrote the law and figure out who's really in control of it. Um, let me say it this way. Um, when you've got, let's say you got a million bucks in a 401k and the government is looking at that, like that's future money for them, right? A third of that 401k is not even yours. It's not even ours. And a lot of people, it's a surprise to realize that. Um, but how much of the million bucks in our hypothetical 401k are we paying a fee on? Are we only paying a fee on the money we eventually will get to keep? Or are we paying our investment fees on all 1 million bucks? Well, it's, it's the whole bucket, right? The fees, the investment management fees, the wrap account, the 12B1 fees, all of the expenses and the load costs on that 401k is on the entire 1 million bucks, even though a third of it belongs to Uncle Sam. So Uncle Sam is happy to let your money be invested where he gets to keep a third of it and you get to pay all of his fees for him. How generous of you. 
to pay all of investment fees for Uncle Sam, right? So if you grab that money too soon, well, you kind of broke your deal with our dear uncle. And so they're going to slap a penalty on it. That's my, that's my idea. Okay. Why there's a penalty. What, what one third does uncle Sam owe? Well, you take the million dollars out of your 401k and see how much you have in your hands after that. Transaction oh, the taxes. Done. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. <laughs> but if it's yeah. a Roth, then why do they? Right. Get? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, they still have an intention to see it as a retirement account. It's a good question. Uh, there is no penalty on money that you put in there after tax if it's a Roth, for sure. But there'd be taxes on the gains if you were taking money out, even out of out of a Roth, I think in the first five years. Yeah. So, And there's always a penalty no matter what, if you're too young. It, it just kind of goes back to who's really this designed for? Is it designed for Eric, for Mark, for anybody listening? Or is it designed for the people who wrote the law? Probably designed for the people who wrote the law, huh? Yeah, right, right. But more importantly, like let's say you got 10% on your mutual funds in that Roth IRA or Roth 401k. That's great. But how's it going to do next year, first of all? And second, if you're spending a third of your income on interest payments, mortgage payments, credit card payments, did it matter if you had a 10% return on your mutual funds? If you're spending a third of it, after tax money going to banks, credit cards, finance companies, uh, it's, it's sort of like a losing battle. I had a guy, he was a great guy doctor, made good income. And he was very proud of his mutual fund performance. But as we got into the numbers, got into the, the, the specifics of his financial life, he was doing about 12% on his mutual funds, but losing about 28% on all of his boats and cars and credit cards and all that. And it startled him when he realized this, but it's all one wallet. It's all one wallet. So the bank's take 28% of your money and you're happy with 10, 12, 14, negative 15%, right? Nothing's guaranteed on your 401k, but what is guaranteed is the money leaving your pocket going to the banks. So finally, I'll answer your question about how do we self-finance? I really believe that you can do better in your financial life if you're not necessarily relying on things that you have no control over, like your 401k, you know, like things that you can't control the outcomes of. What if you could build a true financial bank like you like you see, not like the ones you see on the corner at the you know credit union, whatever, but a bank like a food bank, right? Like a storehouse, like a warehouse of wealth. Um, the only place that I've been able to find that lets you bank on yourself, the only tool that really seems to help us actually accomplish this is a dividend paying whole life insurance. Got it. Things. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's startling that that's even an option these days. I'd I kind of looked down on it when I first heard about this, but uh, let me kind of explain quickly how it works and then Mm -hmm. love to chat with you about it. If it's designed the bank on yourself way, it has to be engineered the right way to do this right, Eric. Uh, It does a few things really well that function like a bank. One, you pack money into it and it grows on a predictable and guaranteed schedule every single year, no matter what's going on in markets, real estate, crypto, stocks, whatever, it's just going to grow on a consistent guaranteed basis. It's going to be boring, you know, middle single digit returns, five, four, 6%, that sort of thing. But it's a tax-free yield because they're not taxing you every year when you grow that money. So to compare it to a 401k, that might be, depending on your tax bracket, seven, 9% on your whole life, boring old whole life insurance. That's not nothing. The second is it's accessible cash. So unlike a 401k or Roth IRA or a CD or real estate, you don't have to like break into the piggy bank to get the money out. It's always liquid money. So as a business owner, I love this because I always have a giant pool of contingency cash for opportunities that I have or emergencies I might have. And getting access to cash when the markets are on fire, that's like when the best deals are made, right? Mm-hmm. And it's tax-free anytime I need it. And there's no penalty or government restrictions. There's no prohibited transactions. I can send my daughter to Disneyland or my co- or her college, or I can invest in real estate, whatever, fix up my kitchen, whatever I want to use the money for. Uh, third, and lastly, it is life insurance, okay? So we'll mention that quickly. But uh, third and lastly, uh, you can borrow against the cash value. And it's sort of like your own personal line of credit to yourself. All right, so you borrow against the life insurance cash value. That's the money you can spend, you know, like while you're still alive on this side of the grass, let's say. And when you borrow against it, you control the entire process. You don't have to repay the loan on some sort of schedule. 
There's no approval process. They can, you know, send you the money in about three to five days. There's no like credit check or whatever. It's just, here you go. Here's your cash. And when you borrow the money out, it will continue to grow and compound as if you hadn't touched the money. So if I've got $100,000 of cash value and I borrow out 30 grand to go buy a car or invest in some deal or something, my policy is still going to get me growth on all 100,000 bucks. Where does the money physically come out of? It comes from the general fund of the life insurance company. And we're leaving my cash value. Your cash value is left in your in your contract as collateral. A lot of folks know how mortgages work. You know, if you get a mortgage or a HELOC on your property, it's not like you sold your house to get that HELOC. No, it's the house is still growing. Even though you borrowed against it, it still grows. It's the same with the life insurance. Mm-hmm. Not all life insurance is designed this way, Eric, but if it's designed properly, you can use it and still have it growing and working for you at the same time. Got it. So, okay. What are the negatives? Yeah. Nothing's free. Insurance costs something in the early years. We typically cut the commissions and expenses down against traditional life insurance, the old-fashioned stuff that Dave Ramsey loves to hate on. He's right about old-fashioned types of life insurance. They're very loaded up with commissions and costs, insurance, death benefit expenses. If we can take a million-dollar death benefit and get it down to like 400 grand, we can cut about 70% of your commissions out of this and 70% of the expenses and death benefit expenses out of it. And it floods a lot more cash value. But even so, you're going to still see a few years where it takes a few years to break even. So I always tell folks, don't look at this like a get rich overnight kind of scenario. It's a long-term predictable program, right? That grows over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one downside for folks that need every last penny right now working for them. Um, It'll it'll eventually come back to you, but you don't get it right away. So that's one of the negatives. The other is you got to save it. It's still got to be, if you're going to be your own bank, you got to have something in the vault. (laughs) So putting some money in that thing, some people don't, they're, they're allergic to saving. And so that makes it really tough to pack money into a liquid, you know, bucket of cash like this. So those are some of the downsides or considerations anyway. So if I buy a million dollar policy, it's not that I can borrow against a million dollars before I die. It's what's being built up is the monthly investment that I'm putting in. And so let's say we're investing, I don't know, what's a typical, what's an average amount for? Yeah, all over the place, man. It could be as easy as 250 a month, 250 bucks a month, or could be 250,000 bucks a year. We've got folks doing seven figures every year into a policy. It really can just be all over the map. But let's just pick any number you want there. And it can be done. Let's say they're putting in two grand grand a month. month. Yeah, Yeah. two grand a month goes into the policy and you got access to the cash value first day, first month, first year. Two grand. Well, yeah, whatever your cash value was. So in the first year on two grand, you might have, you know, at at the end of the year there, you might have 18 grand of cash value in the first year. What happened to other... You, you, you were buying that life insurance death benefit, right? So you were buying that death benefit of a million bucks to your to your point there. And that's a that's a risk to the insurance company. You gave them 24 grand over the course of the year and you croak, that's a million bucks they got to scratch together. So that liability, they hold some of that money in their reserve fund in case you do pass. They don't know if it's going to be you or me or somebody. Mm-hmm. But the 18,000 that is there is yours and liquid to use. So you lost some purchasing power in the first year or two. That's why I tell folks, don't do this if you need every last penny right now and don't desire to see it grow in the future. Now, the next year you fund it, again, at two grand a month. Now it's starting to kick up a little bit. Maybe it, it grows by 21 grand in the second year. And then by year three, it's going, by, going up by 25 grand. Remember, you're putting in 24 every year. So every year you fund it, it gets more and more efficient. Um, so... There's never a year where it slows down, actually. And that, is that tax-free money? Yeah, you can get access to the cash with no taxes due. No, no when we're putting it in, that's prior. Oh, yeah. Typically, you're putting it in like a Roth. It's after tax, usually, when you put the it's money after in. after tax. Well, that's why it's tax. It's not tax-free. It's, <laughs> it's after tax, yeah. But all Got the it. growth is also tax-free, just like a Roth IRA. That's Okay, so that's really cool. All right, talk to me about inflation. So you yeah. said you said that... This has grown at mid single digits, but inflation is growing at 
I mean, now it looks like freaking 20% to me. I don't know if yeah. the, the real numbers are probably closer to 15, 20%. You're right. All right. No, no wind in sight. So, so the dollar is losing its value. So the dollar every year is now worth 80 cents and you're earning, you know, in your case, five cents on every dollar. Why would I do that? Yeah. I'm glad you asked, man. That's a great question. I asked myself that question. So I looked into it. And what's interesting about this is this is not like a fly-by-night just showed up on the screen, on the scene. This has been around for 200 years plus in this country alone and even longer in Europe and other places. So we've got the data. That's what's so cool about this. These policies over a, over an entire 50-year period has averaged 5 6%. But let's go back to when we did this whole inflation thing 40 years ago in 1981, right? Um, a lot of your listeners might remember mortgages were 18%, 20%. Let's go look. You know, So the insurance companies, I, go, I, I went and checked them out. They've got public data showing their dividend rates in those days, in those years of high inflation. And wouldn't you know, they invest in this stuff, mortgages, bonds. So over time, the dividends reflected, the, by, by dividends, I mean that the policies themselves are going to pay out a dividend to the owners of the company, that'd be you and me, if it's a mutually held company. This is so huge. This is incredibly important that your policy is, is from a mutually owned life insurance company, not publicly traded. If you're in a, yeah, I don't want to name necessarily names here, but if you're in a publicly traded insurance company, all right, it's going to be, profits are going to go to the shareholders. But if it's mutually held, then you can expect your dividends to rise as we go through inflation. I'm actually cheering on the uh, the higher interest rates right now because it's like, hey man, party's at my house. My dividends are going up. Well, so mutually, I don't know, it's, when you yeah. say mutually held and like, it's not that I own the insurance company, but you're saying anybody who's investing is part owner? That's literally what the contracts say. Yeah. In essence, you are an owner of the company along with all the other policyholders. You know, if you own and you you if you're an owner of a contract and a policyholder, then yeah, like literally you have a stake, a voting right, a claim to a part of that company along with everybody else. So what are some of who are some of those companies that are not publicly owned? That's a good question. There's probably a dozen, two dozen mutual life insurance companies left. There used to be a lot more. So um, if it has the name mutual in the name, then yeah, that's what that means. Yeah. Yep. Right. Now everybody's mutual, like not everybody, but a bunch of them are like mutual. Yeah. I know what that means. Mass mutual. Uh, yeah. Mass mutual. Sometimes they don't put it in the name. Like uh, Lafayette life is a mutual company. Now um, there's a great company from the Northwest, let's just say with the name mutual in it. Uh, and they unfortunately don't meet all the criteria for what we're talking about today. Oh, that's fine. And, and it isn't interesting. So there's like a long list of characteristics. One of the characteristics to make this thing work is when you borrow against the policy, it has to keep growing like there was no loan. I, right. I use that example of, let's say you had a hundred thousand dollars of cash value. You borrow out 30 to buy a car or to invest or whatever you're going to do. This particular company from the, let's just say the quiet company from the Northwest, let's just say, um, they will only give you the, the dividends on what you haven't borrowed out. So the 70 grand, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if it's a true bank on yourself designed company, it'll still pay you that full guaranteed interest and dividend on all 100,000 bucks, even though you borrowed out the 30 to go buy some you know real estate or whatever else. That's good so to know. Why, why do I bring that up? Well, main thing is it's... It's so tricky to design these things the right way. It's, it's. Um, I guess the bad news is you can end up with a policy thinking it's all set up right, and it's not. I've I just talked to a lady yesterday who thought she had one of these, uh, and it was designed so poorly that we're going to have to transfer, do a ten thirty five exchange, and transfer it out. The good news is, if it is designed correctly, it's a lot like you know, heck, it's a lot like my smartphone. If it was designed improperly, this thing wouldn't work. Be a brick in my pocket. And I don't know how to design this. It doesn't matter how good I am at math or whatever. I can't design this thing. But somebody was good enough to design this thing. And all I have to do is swipe and it works. It's just like that with our policies. If they were designed properly from a professional who designed it from the start, then all I have to do is you know, log in, request my loan money, and boom, all this stuff happens in the background. Right. And so... 
that brings me to this point. We haven't talked about it, but you are, you're a CFP. What's right. the, why, why is that special? Why is having that certified financial planner special? Uh, well, yeah, it, it took me three and a half years, blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of love from my wife to get that. Uh, and it does take, it's like, it's like going through, uh, let's just say it's, it's the, it's the mother load of all financial education that I didn't get as a kid. And I just loved getting into it and learning it. Uh, it's, it's a standard on which I have to hold myself as a fiduciary for my clients. So that, that F word just means, um, that I have to act in your best interest and cannot recommend this strategy or any investment strategy without really knowing what's going to be good for you, what's in your best interest. So part of our work we do with clients is just to listen first before we jump to conclusions. I love this concept, as you can tell, but it's not all we do at our firm. We're a full financial firm. Uh, I think business owners in particular would benefit from this strategy, but I don't jump to that before we've had a real discussion about you know, taxes, risk tolerance, estate planning, all the good investment planning, all the good stuff that needs to happen mm-hmm. to build a true financial plan. Um, the other piece on this is just, um, you know, there's only, there's, well, anybody can call themselves a financial advisor. There's literally no definition of that word officially, whatever. So to have a certified financial planner designation means a third party looked over my shoulder and said, yep, he, he's going to do a good job for you and your clients. That's, I guess that's why it's special. Got it. Now I've heard of that before. I knew a few CFPs and they, they were very proud of being that fiduciary for their clients. Uh, so that's really cool, Mark. Congratulations on, on getting well, that. Well, I, and I'll just say this quickly uh, so I don't pat myself on the head too much here because uh, I'll lose more hair. <laughs> but um, let's say Bernie Madoff was a fiduciary. All right. Mm-hmm. So who cares, right? Who cares what you call yourself? What matters is do we have trust with each other enough to do business? You know this in sales and anything else. It comes down to, do you know them? Do you like them? Do you trust them enough to engage them in their business? If not, run the other way. I don't care what their business card says, right? I don't care yeah. how many letters after their name they have. I got to tell you, I had the worst experience with somebody trying to sell me whole life. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll share this with you. Uh, got out of the Marine Corps, got into selling copiers. My wife and I just got together. Uh we didn't just get together. I think we just got married at that time. No kids living in kind of a small condo. We literally had about $2,500 left over for, you know, after the bills were paid, which was pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Living the rock life. Right. So I met this lady at like a BNI thing and she's a, if I do, I don't know if she was a CFP. She probably wasn't, but she was selling like, you know, financial planning. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about financial planning. Let's figure this out. So we go through like literally this financial anal probe about realizing like <laughs> all our assets, liabilities, what do we owe? What do we have? Every bank account, every dollar that came in, she puts it all in. Sure enough, that's how I find out we have an extra $2,000 left over every month. And the proposal she gave us was, Take that $2,000 and invest it into a whole life policy, leaving us with absolutely yeah. no income Nothing. at the end of the month. Wow. Red, red flags went off. I mean, I was wondering, like, would she have proposed that if I didn't tell her, like, what I made and all that? Right. Or if she was, you know, family, you know, I, that's, that's the real marker right family. there. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we ran fast and far. And I think that was um, not too long after my wife got laid off. We, we bought a bigger house. I got a new job. Like the whole financial mm-hmm. situation completely changed. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, and I'll tell you this, there's, there's 400,000 life insurance agents in the United States, 400 grant, 400,000. That means there's one for every 800 Americans or so. What's the likelihood that you're going to come across a really good one? Uh, it's like if there were 400,000 heart surgeons, would you just work with any of them? Probably not. Right. Uh, so you really do have to like, decide, all right, is this person working for me or are they just working the, for the commissions? Yeah. Um, the way we were describing this type of whole life today, I'd say is categorically different than very likely what you were shown years ago. Um, the first and foremost is I'm taking a big pay cut to design it this way. I think that's the getting back to fiduciary a little bit. I'm trying to work in the client's best interest. So we'll, we'll take you know, 70% off of what our firm would be paid to design it the right way so that you've got cash. So that if, 
your wife did lose her job, first of all, you'd have a big giant bucket of money in the policy on which to rely on uh, even in the first month. And second, you wouldn't want to put every last penny you know, into the, into anything. I don't care I don't what need it a is. I do share to tell me that, man. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Folks, you know, uh, don't listen to me. Don't listen to any financial advisor. You are your own money guru. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you, and you're going to do what's right for your family. So, you know, make it happen. Yeah, that's so right. So, all right. So talk to me now you got these, um, crypto IRAs popping up. How, what's your thoughts on crypto? How are you guys implementing that in your firm? for future savings and investing. I, I honestly think it works hand in hand with this bank on yourself idea. And here's how uh, we all see the value of crypto. We see, uh, honestly, it's volatility, but also it's promise. And the capacity is who, which coin we're going to choose. There's over 20,000 as of this recording. Uh, what if we pick the right one? Well, that's great. What if we pick the wrong one? That's not so great. Uh, so the way I've kind of settled on this for my own financial life, and those of some of my clients is, all right, plow today's reserve currency, the dollar into these policies that we've been describing today, as you can comfortably, of course, not beyond measure, right? But then it's still in there and liquid. And when I see a great deal, when uh, somebody tweets about Shiba or Dogecoin or the next thing, right? Whatever the next one is, if you feel like it's a winner, you can borrow against the policy it still is going to grow on the entire cash value. You still get that arbitrage and then you put it into your coin or coins as you wish and then watch how it does. If it loses and you go to zero in the coin, at least you have the growth in the policy. If it wins, well, great. You Not only did you kind of hedge your bets, you have a stop loss on your net worth with the policy, but now you've got all the profits in the coin itself. Now, that's sort of if you're going to plan to speculate or invest in crypto. What if the world goes to another coin? Maybe we could talk about that too, Eric. But any first thoughts on the idea of kind of- I love that idea. Of the coin? I absolutely love that idea. It's it's a really good idea. You, uh, I think Kiyosaki coined the- Robert Kiyosaki, big into real estate, right? Rich dad, poor dad. He says, you you know, if there's there's two sides to every coin, no, actually there's three sides to every coin. There's heads, tails, and the edge. And I feel like if you've got- this this kind of it's almost like a judo move, right? With the policy, you can play both sides of the coin that way. Uh, so. Yeah, I really really like it. You know, I'll tell you, a lot of my income right now is coming in in Bitcoin. So I I um, started I incorporated a new company. I'm going to make myself an employee of it. And yesterday I went to this local federal credit union here financial credit union, not federal credit union, because I wanted like a bank nearby the, the, you know, credit union seemed to be good. And I wanted to open up a business account that's connected to my wallet that, you know, if I need to convert Bitcoin into cash, I can go back and forth. They wouldn't let me open it. Couldn't, couldn't accept Bitcoin. So what the deal no, was, no, no. What they, was they just, they couldn't accept a business type that's investing at all. They said, even if you were a financial planner, we would not allow you to open a business account here. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, I got to run wow. away from this place. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we're a little conservative. Plus with Bitcoin, there's a lot of crime that can happen. Not saying I'm like, I'm taking all my accounts out of here fast. Right. Right. I yeah. I believe they can control it that way. Well, and, and they've got an opinion of you, whether you realize it or not, they're, they're viewing you under a certain lens just by you bringing that up. That's terrible. Um, I heard Fidelity is looking at exposing, allowing, back to allowing with 401ks, you know, penalties and taxes. Now, your investment uh, firm, Fidelity in this case, I believe as of yesterday in the news, they were saying, now you can put 20% of your 401k into crypto. Um, it's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how did you react? Did you hear that news? First of all, if not, what's your first gut re reaction to that? Is that good news? Is that bad news? What well, Fidelity said, or the bank not letting I, me open an account? Well, yeah, in this case, uh, the, the news about Fidelity saying that, hey, any anybody who's got a Fidelity 401k will give you access to Bitcoin. I think that's the coin they'll let you have at mm -hmm. this point. Up to 20% of your 401k retirement value. Is that is that a win? Is that something to be cautious about? What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm all in on Bitcoin, right? I mean, I've been learning about it. I'm 100% in. I think that Bitcoin is going to go into six figures per coin in the next five to 10 years. 
And I think that's, so the fact that you're able to do that, that's great. The fact that somebody has to allow you to do that with your money. I hate right. it with to, to the bottom of my bones as a free American. I hate mm-hmm. the word they, they will allow you to do this. Right. And you know, right. I almost, I almost opened up and there's like crypto IRA.com or something like that. And I went on and it seems incredible. Right. So I almost opened up an account to start just sending Bitcoin there until you realize the fees that they charge you. Mm-hmm. You really have to educate yourself on the fees because some of it will not make sense. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's so especially if it's going to grow in value, like uh, like if Bitcoin goes to six figures uh, and they just charge you a 1% fee, this is math according to the Department of Labor. Okay. So this is not just little old me saying this. According to the Department of Labor, a 1% fee on your IRA will over 30 years, right? The distance of your retirement, um, it'll eat up a third of your nest egg mm-hmm. in that IRA. Do you want a third of whatever profits you might make from crypto to go to somebody? <laughs> Is there someone at the IRS that you're so madly in love with? No. You're willing to give them a third of your nets, nest yeah. egg? No. I don't even want to hold my crypto in America. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's yeah. what I like about crypto. <laughs> That's right. There's so much to love about the strategy and the concept. And the question is really just which coin is going to make it. No one's, I mean, no one's got a crystal ball on what that, which one it's going to be. There's obviously some, some lead horses in the race right now. And I think it's smart to play in that space with, you know, uh, with people like yourself who've done the due diligence and really researched it. Uh, the question is just how do you play the game along the way as we move toward it? What do you think? Is there going to be a a change in kind of, um, you know, I, I think the the international transactions around the world are 90% dollars today. Do you see it going to multiple currencies that will be traded? Will it be one coin that's chosen um, around the world? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think each country is coming up with their own stuff, right? You got USDC, you got Japan having theirs. I think we learned a whole lot with the truckers in Canada and Mm -hmm. with Russia and Ukraine, Mm -hmm. right? So the truckers in Canada, we learned that the government can come in and shut off $2 million that people have donated to you in a split second if they don't like what you're doing. Yep. And with Russia, I mean, when Russia attacked Ukraine, every billionaire oligarch, these are people who have billion dollar companies, mm-hmm. yachts, came to work that day and couldn't get a cent of their financing. And the solution yeah. to that is crypto. Whether yep. government allows it, doesn't allow it, I can send you $100,000 worth of Bitcoin right now and it'll be there in an hour. It, uh, I'll after we hit record, stop record. I'll give you the the details. Right, no, I'm just the, the wallet address. <laughs> the yeah, wallet, you yeah. got it. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm I said I could. No, I'm not saying yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, you're exactly right. And we'd be foolish to think. A lot of folks will say, "Well, I don't, I don't believe the same thing the truckers do," or "I'm, I'm no Russia, so what are they going to do?" I'm no Russian oligarch, so no. That's that's how it starts, right? That's the bank told me starts. I couldn't open up a business account yeah. because they didn't like me. I wanted mm-hmm. to transfer some money. I got to write out why. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'll just briefly mention this, and this is just coupling, really adding to what you're already saying. But again, where you put your money makes it, it matters. It matters. So your 401k, your IRA, all that's exposed to government you know, review. They can see that. Your bank accounts, your CDs, your money market accounts, your brokerage account there at XYZ, TD, Ameritrade, whatever you want to call it. All that stuff is open and exposed and reported to the IRS, which you put those two words together and you get the IRS, you spell the word theirs. That's that's saying <laughs> something right there. But that is funny. <laughs> whole life insurance in Canada was um, untouchable. They, the government was unable to seize those or freeze those. That's interesting. And crypto, unable to seize that, freeze that. Um, there have been moments where crypto was seized, right? Uh, we've got examples of that. But I just think it's interesting. If you can take a, a a currency that's still figuring out its valuation, you know, Bitcoin can be up and down, hopefully going up, and you take something that's as old and stodgy as whole life insurance, it's like a barbell. You know, you can lift both sides a little bit better if you've got weight on both sides of your performance portfolio. And if you can even use one side of the barbell to help lift the other side, they can work almost like, it's like nitro and glycerin, right? They work better together. So I'm a big believer in the both and, not the either or, but the both and. How do you take steady, predictable, dollar-denominated contracts with um, 
contracts, but now it's on the blockchain and pair them two together to see how they can work together and, and help you achieve your goals. That's that's what we're talking to clients about all around the country. Yeah, no, that's great. It sounds like your firm is doing a really good job and, and it sounds like they're getting the personal attention as well. I had a question I was going to ask you, Mark, really quick. Do, do you believe that paying off your mortgage is a good idea? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I got to give that CFP answer and say it depends, right? Um, so we don't dole out adult diapers around here, but it depends. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, give me a bit more context and I can maybe give you a bit better answer there. Let's say you have cash, right? Let's say you, you've saved enough. You owe a hundred grand on your mortgage, paying 2.75%. You got a hundred grand sitting in cash. Do you pay off that mortgage and get rid of that debt or do you invest it somewhere else? Let me tell you a story. Somebody who he, he was going through a divorce and his wife got the house and a divorce settlement uh, and he got s- some other stuff. And he begged her not to pay off the house, but that's the first thing she did with all of her savings. She paid off that house. And right then and there, like within a month or two, she got disabled. She lost her job due to a recession and she had no income, right? No savings and a paid off house. Wonderful, right? And maybe she was paying that two point whatever percent, right? Mm -hmm. Did that help her sleep better at night knowing that she had a paid off house? No way, right? What's the point of a paid off house there's a liability around your neck. That house is still going to need a roof. It's still going to need the, to put the new carpet in, right? What banker is going to lend you money when you don't have a job? So I, I in that scenario that you just described and kind of combining it with that story of a client, um, maybe there's a better place to park a hundred grand than in the dead equity of your house. Whole Paying life. off your house. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, hey, there you go, right? If you put it into a whole life policy and you really wanted to, you could pay off the house anyway. And now, right now, your policy is still growing as if you hadn't borrowed the money and the house is paid off. But now you've got two assets. You've got Zillow telling you your house is worth X and you've got the guaranteed predictable increase of the cash at the same time. And you get to decide if and when you ever pay off that loan. If you never pay off the policy loan, they'll just deduct it from the death benefit when you pass away. Sorry for interrupting you, but typically I would say, you know, uh, to the the handyman who only has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. But I mean, you're making a lot of sense here with this whole life policy stuff. It's it's <laughs> supposed to, I, I kind of view it less like a hammer and more like the toolbox uh, or more like a parking space. Like my money does not stay in my whole life policies. I mean, um, they're, they're parked there for a while, but then I take them out to go invest. And then I bring it back. I pay off this debt over there or I go get my get an education over there. I buy a car over there, but it's always money coming back, coming and going in and out of that policy. And it doesn't stop the compounding. So to me, it's um, it's more like a, a reserve. It's like your own, it's like you've made your own reserve currency inside your, your policy and you just leave it there until it's time to put it to work. And we encourage our clients to responsibly put that money to work, not to let it sit, soak and sour inside the policies. Okay. That's really cool. Awesome, Mark. What what should I ask you that I have not asked you yet? Well, um, no, I, I think the the you know that's a that's a great question. First of all, uh, I I guess I'd like to know where where do you see things headed? I guess I'll ask you a question if you don't mind. Like in the big picture, as you look at um, the business of crypto and and blockchain technology, and more importantly. The, the use of those coins for transactions. There's been yet to be a wide-scale adoption in this country. There's been other countries, which is cool. Um, but it's mostly seen as a, a risk asset tied to you know, the ARK Innovation Fund, Google's, you know, the FANG stocks, that sort of thing. And we've had a little turbulence this year. Do you see any changes in that? Is it going to become more of a, um, a currency I'm willing to, to buy a piece of pizza with or is it going to continue to be more of a, a guess asset, like a speculative asset? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think we're far away away from a piece of pizza, but a guy did spend like, I don't know how many Bitcoin on some pizzas yeah. that are now worth hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. Or First transaction, yeah, it was 10,000 Bitcoin for 10, Bitcoin. Two, two pizzas at Papa John's or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... um 
Man, I, I think once people really understand and get educated on what it is, like there, there can never be more than 21, bil- 21 million Bitcoins mined. So 21 million, that's done, right? That's encrypted. And so it can't be like money where the, if you, know, you have too low, they just print some, right? And that causes inflation. So they've, they've wrote in the code into this coin that's just brilliant based on what all the other experts are saying. And it's not mass adopted yet. I think where we are today is the internet, right? It's like, what the hell is an email? I'm never going to use it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And now right. here mm-hmm. we are. It's right. Facebook. Exactly. What the hell? Who needs Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can talk to my relatives and they can see my kids who are living across the world. Yeah, everybody does. So it's it's we're there now. I wish I knew what I know now 13 years yeah. ago. Right. But- I, I bet you I know a lot more. I know enough now that's going to prepare me to be in a better place 13 years from now and mm-hmm. my kids. So that's great. Well, yeah. And and now with wide scale adoption in the 401ks, folks are going to have at least, you know, 20% of their money they're going to need to spend at the grocery store with Bitcoin rather than US dollars. That's interesting, right? If they don't sell it in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, so I think- You know the, what else the, is really cool? Sorry. Yeah, I, I was yeah. looking- so I don't have, you know, not to talk about my personal finances here, but I don't have a W-2, right? Like I don't have a job. So for banks to give me money, there's so much pain in the ass that I have to go through right. to do that. So my house that we built here, really appreciated. I reached out to a bank. I said, I'd like to get a home equity line of credit because I want to use their money and go buy some properties. Okay. They send me forms that I'm like, I looked at it. I was like, yeah, I'm better off not doing it because it just doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. So researching, my wife found a a bank in Miami that literally you give them, you you put into a custodian wallet, your Bitcoin, and they will give you the financing for any property within a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where we're heading, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. three, three to 5%. Yeah. So right. it's just there's so many options out there. Just if we search for them and look at them, like we can really make our dollar go a very long way nowadays. That's right. You got to be willing to think different. You got to be willing to say, how can I become my own source of financing? Like you just found a way to do it there. Mm-hmm. So finding ways to to become the bank is what we're all about. I believe if folks want to build real wealth without just chasing retail investment products like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, the retail stuff where you're overpaying and you're getting underperformance. If you want to build real wealth, you have to look for the contract. And the contract is where real wealth happens. That's where you get your real estate wealth from. It's not from the brick and mortar. It's from the contract that you have with your tenant. And with the contract you have with the deed with the city that your property is in. The contract is the blockchain, right? The contract is the whole life insurance contract. That's literally what life insurance is. It's a contract. So contractual wealth is really what we're all about at our firm. And it's really what I think is going to build the next generation of, you know, the the very wealthy in this country and around the world. What are some of the things people should look at in that contract that says, okay, this is a red flag or this is something that's a good idea? Contracts of any kind, like real estate or whole life and blockchain. What kind of contract do you mean? Yeah, for whole life. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, whole life insurance in particular. You, you want to look to make sure that it's a mutually owned company. You want to make sure that it has non-direct recognition loans. That's that sweet spot where if you borrow from the policy, it'll keep on growing. Uh, if it's direct recognition loans, it'll penalize you when you borrow against the policy. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of companies have that specific de- definition of loans where they directly recognize that you took the loan and then only pay you on, on what's left. That it doesn't beat a savings account, in my opinion. Uh, but if it's non-direct recognition, you get that compound growth on all of your cash. It's just like a HELOC in that regard, right? Yep. You want to make sure it's whole life insurance, not universal life or variable life. Any other kind of in- permanent cash value insurance is not going to have any kind of guarantees built in. And they can typically increase the cost uh, as a result of that. So make sure it's dividend paying whole life insurance. And finally, and shamelessly, I'll just say, look for a bank on yourself professional. 
Uh, there's a couple hundred of us around the country. That's but, a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, that's another designation that um, that we that I've gone through. I've got the CFP, and I'm a bank on yourself professional. Both took me a good chunk of time. Both took me about three years independently, actually, to get wow. that credential. And that's the main like point years. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 my favorite book of the Bible is the Book of Numbers, man. I guess, <laughs> but it's it's sort of what teaches you to build the policy correctly, like the like these smartphones or like any good bridge you cross. You want to make sure it's engineered properly from the start. And so you want to look for a bank on yourself professional. They'll have it in their email signature or on their website. So just look for that as you're doing your research. Is that just a new hot phrase for uh, whole life? No, whole life insurance has always, you know, been as terrible as marketing uh, in marketing as they've ever been uh, there at these insurance companies. But bank on yourself professionals go through a training program and mentoring program to know which companies to pick, how to design them the correct way, how to structure the policies, how to, you know, come alongside you for years to come. So that's sort of what um, comes along with the contract is there's going to be some sort of insurance agent or financial professional. You want to make sure you're working with somebody who's knows what they're doing. Otherwise they end up sending you like you and your wife got uh, the wrong thing. Yeah, no, this was great. I learned so much from you, Mark. Thank you. How can the listeners get in touch with you or what's the best like they're listening to you and they're like, holy crap, this guy knows a lot more than I know. How did, is there a way for them to maybe schedule a call with you or your firm? Yeah, sure. We're, um, would love to chat. Happy to have a 15 minute call with you and just answer any questions. I don't bite, you know, our, our associates and colleagues in the firm here can also meet with you. Uh, you can go to kickstartwithmark.com. That's Mark with a K, kickstartwithmark.com. And just let us know you'd like to chat. We'll get on the calendar, 15, 20 minutes, see what kind of strategies we can come up with and kick around. That's awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my Stick pleasure. around for that to give me your wallet address for the Bitcoin. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow. Really appreciate you all being here. And I'll see you in the next episode. You've listened to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a nice review. And if you're not a part of our tribe on Facebook, be sure to head over to Facebook and join Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Tribe. I look forward to speaking with you in the tribe. Have a great day.